Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we have a gentleman who played for the, my beloved Miami Dolphins. Even though I'm from Chicago, the Dolphins were my team because they had my favorite quarterback of all time. He protected his uh, back for many years. A guy who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Richmond Webb. How are you doing today, Richmond? Hey, morning, David. How are you doing, sir? Doing great here. I see that you grew up in Texas. How did you go into A&M? You know, I was heavily recruited out of high school, and um, uh, back then it was the Southwest Conference, and uh, I think the Big Eight. And um, I think A&M was just the right place for me. I kind of settled between Oklahoma State and A&M. And after playing, I kind of figured I wanted to stay in the state, and um, I, I chose A&M, and I think it was the best decision I made. What other schools were after you? Everybody in the Southwest Conference, so you could say Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, SMU, U of H, um, and then uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, those were the schools, you know, I took visits to that I got letters from all over the country that I kind of, I didn't want to go too, too far. So those, I kind of focused on the big eight Southwest conference. That's pretty much where I put my, mainly my focus. What was the right plan for Jackie Sherrill? What was the right plan? Yeah, for Jackie Sherrill. As far as what, when you said what was the right plan? What was he like as a coach? Oh, uh, he's players coach and, um, you know, I think I kind of got there at the beginning where it was, you know, they were just starting to turn the corner and make their transition. My true freshman year, uh, we won three Southwest Conference championships, um, in a row, went to the Cotton Bowl three times. And, um, then, you know, we had the transition from coach Cheryl to RC Slocal, but, uh, he was a, he was a players coach, great coach. And I just saw him a few weeks ago. So. Um, great, great, great coach. And he also coached Marino too, as well, at Pittsburgh. Did you guys share any stories, you and Dan, about, uh, Coach Cheryl? <clears throat> yeah, we, we, over the time, you know, when I first got there, you know, that was one of the things Coach Cheryl said, you know, make sure you take care of, uh, my guy Danny, you know, cause he had coached in that pit. And, uh, when I got there, you know, sharing stories, it was similar, similar, Different universities, but similar as far as how he conducted himself. And it seemed like the, the players that played for him at Pitt kind of felt the same way that we did at A&M. So he's a great coach, and uh, we did share some stories. So it was kind of like, even though we didn't go to, to the same school, um, you could kind of relate with some of the stuff that, that you did because you just knew Coach Cheryl. What was Slocum like compared to Cheryl? Slocum was, uh, you know, Slocum was my recruiting coach. He was defensive coordinator and, um, great defensive mind. And, um, after, you know, Coach Cheryl resigned or whatever, you know, he took over, but, um, he kind of just grabbed the reins and just took over and just, just kept, kept everything going. So, um, he was a good coach. I was under him my last two years. And, uh, you know, I, I believe he's the winningest coach in the Southwest Conference, something like that. So, uh, he, he had an excellent career as well at Texas A&M, um, still comes back. And it's like once you're a part of that university, even though you're not coaching or anything, you're still considered family. So I see him at a lot of A&M events and stuff like that. Were you ever part of that 13 man? It's the 12th man. 
Twelfth uh, man, sorry. 12th, yeah, yeah, yeah. 12th man is – we had a 12th man kickoff team, um, and basically what the 12th man stands for is, if you notice any Texas A&M games, uh, the student section normally stands the entire um, the entire game, and basically uh, that's why we call it the 12th man, and it's basically just symbolizing that if we needed somebody to come in to to help finish the game, whatever, that's that's their role. So that's that's how the 12th man kind of got started, and it's a tradition from years and years ago, and 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 that that's kind of what it symbolizes. Did you have any idea the Dolphins were going to draft you? Uh, I, I, I can kind of remember draft day, and uh, I had a couple of teams call. Uh, Miami was one of the teams that called, and they said, you know, if I was there, you know, they were going to take me. And then there was a couple of other teams, I think the, maybe the Raiders or Kansas City, and they said, we think you'll be gone, but if you're there, we're going to take you. And then you start watching the draft. Which, you know, back in 1990, it was a lot different. I was at home. I think only a couple of players went to New York. So now it's like a big production now where, uh, you got an opportunity to go in the first round. Normally you're, you're, you're up in New York Thursday night or whatever. But, um, uh, it was speculation about, um, San Diego. And so when they took Junior Sal, uh, I think, um, the, the commentators speculated a little bit about maybe the Bears. They had the sixth pick and they took uh, Mark Carrier. And then the seventh pick was Andre Ware out of U of H running shoot to uh, Detroit. Eighth pick was Chris Singleton to New England. And as soon as they picked him, my phone was ringing and it was Coach, Coach Shula on the phone. He said, hey, are you ready to be a Dolphin? And I said, yes, sir. It was just like a big relief weight off my shoulders because even though you go in the first round, it's pretty nerve-wracking until you get that call. And once I got that call, it was like a weight off my shoulder. So I was definitely excited to be going to Miami. What was Coach Shula like when you joined them at training camp? Uh, probably one of the to- toughest coaches um, uh, I ever played for. But great coach, one of the all-time greats. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the greatest coach to ever coach the game. But um, – I can remember as a rookie after I got drafted, they took me down to uh, the NBC affiliate uh, station in, in Dallas. And they said, what do you think about Coach Hugh? What do you think he is? And, and I said, oh, he looked like he wears um, uh, shades and, and, and he's got a nice tan. Look like he hang out on the beach. And uh, my uh, position coach made a statement and said, boy, is he in for a rude awakening. And, and I got there and I said, Oh my goodness! Let me just keep my mouth shut because I just stuck my foot in my mouth. But he was a tough coach, but he was a great coach. He demanded excellence, discipline, and I think those were a lot of the key to why he had the success for so many years. Is you know he established a pattern early on, and you stuck to it, and, and that formula worked, and there was no need to deviate from it. What was amazing about him as a coach is how he changed over the years. I mean, he had the Colts with uh, Johnny Unitas had great receivers in uh, Raymond Berry and R- Money Moore. Then he goes to the Dolphins, has great running backs, and then he gets Marino, and then he changes his whole attack, becomes a passing team. Yeah, and, and I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of times, I think that's what makes you a great coach. You look at what you have, 
and then you try to maximize on, on that player's talent or put that player in the best position to, to, to get the maximum return out of him. And like you said, back in the 70s, you know, with Zonka and all that, they just pounded out Mercury Morris. They ran the ball, just tough physical football. It's not, you know, Greasy was a quarterback. And, you know, he's one of the all-time greats, you know, with the Dolphins. And then, like you say, you get Marino, and it's just an aerial passing attack. And I mean, he comes in and just shatters records that, you know, that was just unheard of at the time. You had the Marx brothers. So not only did he get Marino, but he complimented players around him to surround him to put him in a situation to where he could be successful. And I think that's just the mark of a great coach. You're studying your team, seeing what the needs are, and then you say, okay, what is this player's strengths or whatever? I think we put him in the best position to help us win. And I think he just had a knack for recognizing that, and that's why he's so successful. Did you enjoy pass blocking more or run blocking? I, you know, I, I did whatever they needed me to do. Uh, I think as a lineman, I do think you like to run the ball a little bit more. but um at the time, when you got a, a, a guy like Dan Marino, you, you just do what's called, and you don't really focus on it. Your job is you just execute whatever that you know the quarterback calls or whatever's sitting from the sideline. So, I think as long as you kind of keep that mindset, um, you'll be fine. But um, I did both. You know, I came from Texas A&M, and we really just used to pound it out, run it, run it, run it, and then just switched over to the Dolphins where we threw the ball a lot more. So whatever it takes to win, that's, that's kind of the way I always approached it. There's always an adjustment period for players where it takes them a little while to get used to the NFL. I mean, you started pretty much right from the start with the Dolphins, make a Pro Bowl your rookie year. Was it that easy for you? I'm not going to say it was easy. I, I think one of the things was I had a great position coach, John Sandusky, and what I think some of the keys are, especially when you're a high draft round pick, is to get in the camp early because the installation is like nonstop. Every day they're studying, installing, installing, installing the playbook. And the playbook is, you know, six, eight inches thick of just plays that you got to get in. And so um, I stayed down there like a month and just worked on, you know, pass blocking and stuff with Coach Sandusky. And uh, I think that was instrumental in a lot of my success early. And then the other thing, I think I missed about a week, week and a half of training camp, and they got me signed and got in there. So I was able to get reps and being able to adjust to the speed of the game. And then I think we came out, me and Keith Sims, we played the entire preseason. We had like four or five games, but we only came out for like one series. And, you know, so we got as many reps. And I think, that was the thing with, you know, Coach Shula, whatever. He realized he needed to get us ready. Um, and most people, it was unheard of at the time to put two rookies on the left side of the offensive line because, you know, that's quarterback's blind side. And, but hey, that's why Coach Shula is one of the greatest that ever, you know, coached the game is, uh, he just had a knack for talent recognizing and Mickey just had a chemistry from day, day one. And, uh, it, it it just worked out for us. He always had good offensive lines. Back in the 70s with the Dolphins, you had Langer, Kuchenberg, and Larry Little. Then you go to Dwight Stevenson in the 80s, and then, like yourself, yourself in the 90s. I mean, he just – I think he understood the importance of the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, everything starts up front, offense, defensive line. And, 
the better your lineman is, if you look at um, the Dolphin honor roll, um, it's a considerable amount of offensive linemen that's in that honor roll. And it's a reason for that is, you know, I think Coach Shula understood no matter whether we're going to run the ball or we're going to throw the ball, it all starts up front. And if you get those key guys in place and position, it just makes everything else flow smoother. What defensive lineman or defensive end gave you the hardest time? Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, Bruce Smith, you know, I had to play that guy two or three times. Two or three times a year sometimes, and just being in the same division, um, by far he's the toughest one. And, you know, he played the, he played the pass extremely well, great pass rusher, and then, um, he's, you know, great against the run, and just, he's just one of the best players probably ever put a, put a uniform on. And, um, that was the guy that probably gave me the most problems. Who called the plays on the offense? Was it the offensive coordinator, Coach Schuler, or did Dan Marino call most of the plays? I don't. I think the offensive coordinator called them, but Dan had had the option of a lot of times if he recognized the defense, he could check out of that play. If if you know what I'm saying, once you read the defense the way he lined up, if it's not going to be good, he could check out of it. So, um, a lot of times the plays were sent in, except like in two minute drill where Dan would call the play. But uh, the plays were sent in, and then if he didn't like the front or whatever, he could change it to something else. That's basically what he did. Did he ever check out of a passing play and ran the ball? I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. So, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of times it just you know it, it, if it was you know seven men in the box instead of eight or nine, I'm sure he would check out of it and, and run the fo- football. So. Um, uh, yeah, that's a funny question, but yeah, I, I'm sure he did. Because <laughs> Bob Kucherberg told me that when Marino joined the Dolphins, he would be in there during the offensive meetings. When they went over the passing drills, Marino was there, and when it was time for the do the running plays, he would go to the bathroom and take the newspaper with him. Or is it just <laughs> Kuchenberg being Kuchenberg? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. you got to remember, Kuchenberg um, probably caught Dan early on. Um, in the early eighties and then, you know, I didn't get there to ninety, so that could be a true story. Uh, but you know, Cooch could be exaggerating a little bit, but you know, uh, he, he knows how to, you know, get a chuckle out of people and, and, and make it interesting and make you wonder, is this actually what happened or is he just yanking my chain a little bit? But, um, uh, that, that, that's funny. So I don't know. You, you want to clarify that with Cooch. What's interesting with the Dolphins is the characters you've had through the years. Kuchenberg, Larry Little. I mean, all these guys, they all have these attitudes, and they're all hysterical. Zonka? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, one thing I, I really uh, – uh, I've had an opportunity to spend time with those guys. But, um, uh, Zonka just has a way of – I mean, he just takes control of the audience when he speaks. I mean, it's just a gift that very few have. But his um, the way he tells the story or presents the information is just uh, amazing. And you have to be in the room. It's like, it's like um, the teachers pulled out the ruler or something, clapped on the on the chalkboard and like pay attention. But he doesn't do that. But once he starts telling the story, it's like whatever you're doing, you kind of stop and just focus in on it because it's almost like he puts you there, even though it was years ago when it happened. So it's almost like he takes you to the game 
you sit in the stands and you can see it almost actually happen. I mean, he has that type of storytelling ability. So um, he's one of the best I've, I've, I've heard. And Larry Little, I mean, he's just hysterical. He'll tell Cooch, he'll tell Zonka to just shut up. And it seems like they all respect Larry. He's like the leader of that team. Yeah, you know, when you play with guys, you know, it's, that's that camaraderie um, that you always hear players talk about is, is, you know, you spend time in the locker room and when you start seeing all those guys get together and interact and laugh and stuff like that, if you have ever played any type of sports with high school, whatever, you kind of genuinely, okay, you can tell they play together and they're having a good time and everybody kind of catches up. And, 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 and for a guy like me that didn't play with those guys, it's funny because you get to hear them tell the stories and then you can kind of imagine because um, when Coach Shula coached back in the 70s, they talked about how they did three-a-days, and I just don't know how I could ever made it through three-a-days during training camp because we did two-a-days. And so I know he was a much tougher coach, you know, early on than he was when I got there. So uh, I'm kind of glad I got caught Coach Shula when I did because he, he was tough enough for me. Is there a reason why the Dolphins just couldn't get over that hump and go and win a Super Bowl when you were there? Uh, I think uh, one or two years. I think we had opportunity. A couple years we had injuries at key positions, stuff like that. So it's always um, a factor, too. If you don't get the home field advantage, one year we had it, but we lost to Buffalo. It's just, um, you know, that's the way I I, kind of analyze it, that – uh, we got close. We just didn't get over the hump. But um, sometimes factors played, and sometimes we just didn't get the job done. So it just depends. When you retired, did you think to yourself, you know what? I think I could play a couple more years, but I don't know if my body can do it. Or was it just mentally, were you just tired of it? Not mentally. I, I think you just kind of get used to it. It's, it's, it's the norm for you because you know um, that's what you do. Um, that's what you've been doing the last, you know, I played 13 years, so that's what you do every year. I, I think the thing that kind of snuck up on me is how fast it actually happens uh, from one year one, and next thing you know, it seemed like you're in, you know, year eight or nine, and uh, once you start getting 10-plus years. But um, I, I, I don't think it's the mental edge of this thing physically. You know, me with injuries and my body start breaking down, Um your mind keeps saying you can do it, but at some point you just got to say, you know what, I've had a good run, and it's time for me to, you know, hang it up. And I, I think that's what it was for me. Were you on the field during that famous play when Marino fake spiked the ball and threw for that touchdown pass? Yes, yes, I was in the game. That was against the Jets. Yes, yeah, so I was in that game. Whose idea was that? Was that Dan's idea, the offensive coordinator? I don't know whose idea it was because if you look at that play and you look at the offensive lineman, you can tell that we didn't know that they were going to do that. You just look at if you look at the reaction of the play, this and that. And so uh, I can remember asking Dan, I think, but why y'all didn't tell us? And they say, well, we didn't tell y'all because y'all would have messed it up. So uh, it was it was strictly I think between the offense corner Dan Marino. And I think Mark Ingram was the receiver. I'm sure all the other receivers knew, but they didn't tell the offensive line. So um, that's why we looked kind of crazy on that play because we thought it was a simple clock play. And then the next thing you recognize, the guy where he stops and he starts like he's rushing again. And he's like, wait a minute, what's going on? So um, 
I'm not for sure, but I, I'm, they worked on it. They just didn't tell the offensive line about it. I used to laugh when Dan Marino did those isotoner commercials, and he talked about giving his linemen the gloves. And then I read that Eric Dickerson would give his linemen Rolex watches here. Do you ever give Dan a hard time and say, listen, look what Eric's doing here? No, um, I, I didn't. Um, uh, I mean, he got his stuff other than, than isotoner gloves. And, you know, I'm just uh, of the fact that I'm appreciative that you do something for me. It's it's not required. I mean, we're in a contract to do a job like he is. That is always when somebody appreciates what you does and does goes a little bit above, you know, what's required. Um, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the thought that counts with me. So I really didn't get into, you know, this guy's doing this for his guys or whatever because now to me that shows you're not really appreciative of what somebody took time to to say. Okay, hey. I got this for you. I appreciate it. So I never really tried to get into that. If you gave me something, thank you very much. You really didn't have to do it, so I was appreciative. What do you think about Dan running the Dolphins now? I think it's great. I think it's great for, um, you know, a player of his caliber, what he did, and to have him to where um, he can interact with, uh, like, Tannehill or whatever. Or uh, if you got a guy like that that you can just go pick his brain and, and he's right there um, at the same organization that he played and set so many records for and this and that, I think it's great. Do you think there's a little competition there where he sees what John Elway's done with Denver and Ozzie Newsom with Baltimore and says, you know what, I think I could do this too? I don't think it's competition. Uh, you know, Dan and John came in the same um, draft class. Um and I don't even know if they got the same title with each um, NFL uh, team. So um, it'd be kind of hard to match apples to apples with that. I, I don't think so. But I think both of them have that. All three of those guys had a competitive edge to be successful. And whatever they jump into, they're going to give it 110%. So I can say that. When do you think you're going to end up going in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Uh, I think I got the numbers. Um, I really don't focus on that. Um, the thing I look at, Dave, is um, there are a lot of guys, like even this year, um, Charles Haley, um, Andre Reed just making it in. I mean, those are guys that I respect and were some of the greatest players at the game, but yet they had to wait. And when you only put in, you know, five or six guys a year, uh, some guys gonna be first time ballots, but some guys don't kind of get mixed up in the shuffle. Um, I think I have a legitimate shot. I believe I'll make it, but I don't just dwell on that. I just keep on living. When it happened, it happened. You know, that's that's the way I kind of look at it. It seems like it's almost become like a political campaign where they're looking at NFL Network guys, ESPN guys, national guys, and the people who aren't really involved in the media are kind of getting forgotten about. Well, I mean, it's easier to make a case for those guys because you see them on TV. That, that's the only thing that's good about being there. And just because you're on there, um, I mean, the guys that made it in, I don't have a problem with any any of those guys that were selected to make it in. I mean, uh, Jerome Bettis, um, Warren Sapp, I thought he's a great player. Um, Marshall Falk, I mean, they got the numbers. It's just 
they got in, uh, Shannon Sharps. I mean, I, I got respect for all those guys. So I, I'm happy for all of them. I just look at it and say, hey, they, if they only put in five or six in at a time, they can only get so many in at a time. So that's the way I look at it. The thing I don't like they're doing now is they're making the finalists all come to New York or wherever the Super Bowl is and sit in a room and then they wait for the knock on the door. And I think it's harder. I mean, it's hard enough being at home waiting for that phone call, but to sit in a hotel room and wait for a knock on the door. And if you don't get the knock, then eventually you realize you didn't get in and then you got to sit there and fly back home. I don't think that's fair to these guys. Yeah, I, I didn't know that's how they were doing it now. Um uh, it would seem like they, they would just notify the finalists, hey, you know, you made it in or whatever, and fly those guys to New, New York. But to put 15 guys in there and only knock on five or six doors, that's, that's not, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know they was doing it that way. And then what if you knock on the wrong guy's door? <laughs> and then you go say, hey, uh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. You know, it's like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know the procedure and I didn't know it was that way. So, um, Man, okay. they just started. They <laughs> just, just started the last couple I, of years. I think in New York was the first year. So Dave Baker, the president, knocks on the door, and I'm like, and they have it on NFL Network. They have a camera behind them. So when he's opened the door, he's announcing. I'm like, the poor, like you said, the poor nine other guys, or ten other guys. Yeah. I mean, they're sitting in the rooms there, and they got to fly back home. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I didn't know they was doing that. I did not have an idea that they did it that way. So wow. I mean, every, 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 everything is about making money. And, you know, if they think that that's a way they can market something and package it up and, and, and get people to, you know, donate, uh, uh, sponsorship money and stuff like that. Hey, the NFL is about making money now. They, they, they know how to do it. I'm telling you that. They got to get Marino's left tackle in. They've got to get his top receiver in because like Clayton said, I mean, Name one other Hall of Fame quarterback that doesn't have their receiver in or their left tackle, and it makes no sense. That's a good point. I, I can't argue with it. So, um, uh, like I was saying, you know, Mark, he, he's good. Clayton is good as far as um, looking at stuff like that and trending. And when you, when you when you do apples to apples, that's that's a great that's a that's a great argument right there. Thank you so much for your time, and tell Dan to send you a case of his new wine. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com. I'm David Spada. We'd like to thank our guests again, Miss May, Brittany Brousseau, Baseball Hall of Famer Whitey Herzog, and former Miami Dolphin Richmond Webb. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com. <laughs>